We get to continue this series about resolving everyday conflict. Now, I, I shared a little bit last week. We kicked this off last week. So if you missed uh, last week's message, go back and check it out online. Uh, it's, it's really, I think this is so important for believers. Uh, I do topical studies from time to time, and this is really a book study. There's a book by an author named Ken Sandy uh, uh, called uh, The Peacemaker. And it was kind of a long, big book, and he broke it down and kind of released a shorter book with the core principles, and it's called Resolving Everyday Conflict. And the reason this is so important is because I think this is an area that so many Christians struggle with. So many believers struggle in this area. There's conflict, um, and so you respond to it in one of two ways. And we talked about this last week. You either escape from the conflict, conflict, and that means you deny it or you uh, run away from it, or you attack. You blame and you uh, just go all out and try to win the conflict, right? So we've got to learn how do we find the biblical way to work through conflict, and it's amazing how much the Bible has to say about this. It's not something that is uh, new to our culture and our time that we live in. This is something that goes all the way back. We see it actually all the way back in Genesis. So uh, that's why this is so important. So last week, uh, we talked about how peacemaking is applying the gospel uh, for problem solving and applying it to everyday life. And we talked about how the, really the, the whole theme of the Bible was reconciliation. That's why Jesus came to rescue us. We talked about... Uh, this conflict is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to, to get God involved, to go higher and, and seek to glorify him in everything we do. So we ask questions like, okay, uh, how can I glorify God through this situation? And, and it just means that we kind of re, refocus on God every time we hit conflict. And so uh, now that we're up to speed, uh, we'll start with a quiz this morning. Is that all right? Yeah, here's your Bible quiz for today. What do Adam, Eve, Aaron, and King Saul have in common uh, in the Bible? Okay, you think, are you thinking yet? What do they all have in common? Well, I'll go ahead and give you the answer. They all blamed someone else for their sin, and they never took personal responsibility for their actions. If you go all the way back to Genesis, um, you think about the story, Adam, uh, when uh, they ate of the fruit, here's what he said. He said, the woman you put here with me, she's the one, right? She gave me fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then what does Eve say? What, what me? The serpent deceived me. So right from the very beginning of the story, what do we see? Uh, what happens? We start blaming others for our sin. We would say our mistakes, but it's really sin, right? We, we start blaming others for our sin. Uh, the, same line, uh, the same thing happened later. Uh, Israel was growing impatient with Moses uh, to arrive. So what did they do? They made this golden calf to worship. And so when Moses came back down, he confronted Aaron. And uh, what did Aaron say? He, Aaron said, you know, these people are prone to evil. They're, they're, they're prone to do. They said, make a God uh, who will go before us. They gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and this calf just fell out of the fire. You remember that story? He's like, it wasn't me. The people wanted a God to worship and you weren't here. So we just threw all this gold in the fire and just magically it, it made the shape of this golden calf. And there it is. That sounds like a story your kid would tell you, right? 
What happened to, you know, to the lamp that was broken? You know what? I was just standing here and it just exploded spontaneously. I mean, that's the kind of story we have here, right? And if I just keep going, right, um, you know, Aaron, he did not accept personal responsibility. He just blamed the people. Look at Saul. What did he do? He, he received this clear instruction, hey, go and destroy everything that's possessed by the Amalekites and, 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 to, and, and he, not to spare anything. But what did, he do? what did he do? He spared the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and the lamb, everything that was good. So when Samuel confronted him, what did he say? Well, the soldiers, they took the sheep and the cattle, the best of what was devoted, in order to, to sacrifice them. And so what Saul did, he said, it wasn't me. It was the soldiers. Well, I, didn't have, I had nothing to do with it. I mean, it's just a flat-out lie. But what he's doing is taking the blame off of himself and putting it somewhere else. Now, we see this throughout Scripture. Um, but can I tell you, we do the same thing. I think it's human nature. It's the flesh inside of us that constantly makes us kind of deny responsibility for our own actions. We want to make ourselves look good, so we blame someone else or something else when bad things happen. The definition of blame is to assign responsibility for a fault or a wrong. And that's what we do. We assign responsibility. I'm not responsible. I didn't do it. It's not my fault. Uh, and it makes us feel better about ourselves because it's always someone else's fault. Uh, and you know people like this, and it's easy to recognize in others, but people, you, you'll see students, they'll fail a test. It wasn't their fault. It's the teacher's fault. She can't teach. She's a terrible teacher. You see someone get fired from your job. Oh, it was my boss. They had, they, they had this. They, can you believe they expected me to show up on time every morning? Don't they know I have, uh, I have other things I have to do in the morning? Or, or maybe it's marriage problems. It's never my fault. You, you would act the same way if you were married to someone like that. So they're always blaming someone else. We do it. We blame fast food restaurants for making us fat, right? We blame tobacco companies for giving, giving us cancer. We blame the church when we don't grow spiritually, we're good at this. I'm telling you, we do it without even thinking. We even blame God for the results of our own poor choices and say, God, why did you let this happen to me? Can you see a pattern? <laughs> and I'm just telling you, right? We are in a culture where blaming others for our failures, it happens all the time. But how does God view this? Could this be a type of idolatry, right? Where we, we, it's just pride in ourselves, where we keep elevating ourselves, thinking we can do no wrong. And I'm just telling you, if you continue to blame others for your problems, instead of taking responsibility for the part you, you've played, blame is going to become part of your life. It's, it's going to become a coping mechanism as you go through problems. And so it's easy to see in other people. We all, if I asked you, do you know someone like this? I think every one of you could raise your hand and say, yep, I know someone that this is how they live their life. They've never done anything wrong. They've never made a mistake. It's always someone else's fault. This is easy to see in other people. But would you agree with me that it's hard to see in yourself sometimes? 
And so that's why we've got to, to dig into God's word today. Here's the first point if you're following along today, and it's simply this. If you want to resolve c- conflict, you've got to quit the blame game. You've got, to quit the bl- you've got to quit blaming everyone else for the situations you get in. Um, and so last week, the first step, right, was, uh, uh, w- was to, to, to take things to God, to go higher. This, this, this week, we're getting real with ourselves. Have you ever noticed in a conflict where our focus naturally goes? It's, it, it naturally goes to the other person and what that person did wrong. And, and so I, I would say it this way. So many times in conflict, our mind, someone does something to us or someone's mad at us. Or whatever the type of conflict it is, uh, we immediately go to, well, they did. They said, uh, we start building our defense case. It's like a lawyer, you know, we're getting all the evidence, we're piling it up on our side uh, just so we can say, hey, that's what they did. It's not my fault. And we do this without even thinking sometimes. The last place we want to look is at our own faults, our own contribution. But it's really the first place you need to start. You're not going to find peace until you really ask yourself this tough question, how can I own my part of this conflict? How can, I, how can I really own it? Uh, Psalm 139 is, is powerful because what we see in Psalm 139 is this desire uh, this, from King David to say, okay, God, um, I need you to really search out my heart. Um, and, and this is what it says in verse 1. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know when I sit down, you know when I stand up, you know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. And then if we skip ahead, it says, search me, O God, know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. And so when we look at this passage, what we see is this desire to say, God, sometimes I don't see things in myself that I need to see. And I need your help to open my eyes for me to see those blind spots, for me to see those things that offend you, that offend others. We, We see this desire. That's the type of prayer we need to be praying. God, open my eyes. Help me see my part in this conflict. This Psalm 139, we see the verb known. You, you have known me. You know everything about me. You know me. And, and it's a Hebrew word meaning to know, to perceive, to recognize. God knows what is invisible to all of our, to, to ourselves. He knows, he can see things that we don't see. He knows our thoughts. He knows our, our intentions. He knows our sins. And so sometimes uh, we just need to say, God, I'm not seeing this clearly. All I'm seeing is what this other person has done to me. I need you to open my eyes to what I've done. This is hard. I mean, and I know, and for if you're here and you're like thinking, okay, uh, this is practical biblical application for your life. This is, I said last week, if you learn how to resolve conflict, it's like a superpower because so many people don't know how to do it. And the amazing thing is, is when we do this the biblical way, God gets the glory. People see the gospel at work in our life. And that's what an unbelieving world needs to see. 
And so before we can engage someone with whom we're in conflict, we want to go right to them and start saying, here's what you did. Here's what happened. Uh, and we've, we've built our case. We, we've like, we make our argument. Here it is. Before we do any of that, we've got to slow down and start thinking about how we've played a part in the problem. Uh, Lisa Turkhurst, uh, she said this. She said, in most conflicts, I have two ways that I can choose to travel. The path of pride. Uh, I can blame the other person. I can focus only on their flaws and refuse to own my part of it. That response will increase my pride and decrease the Lord's blessing in my life. Or the humble way. I can honestly assess what I'm contributing to this conflict. I can admit where I went wrong. I can ask for forgiveness. That response will lead to humility and increase the Lord's blessing in my life. So here's really at the heart of this. This is pride. A prideful heart does not want to admit that they've done anything wrong. And, and we all, I mean, this is a struggle for, I think, for all of us, whether we want to admit it or not. Pride tells us, hey, it's not my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm better than they are. That's what pride says. And it's easy to see when someone else is wrong, but it's not enjoyable to admit our own fault. And so let's just start asking ourselves questions like, hey, did I contribute to this problem in any way? Is there something I could have done better? If I would have said this, would it have helped the situation, right? Instead of focusing on what the other person did, let's start talking about how we can help. Now, Again, I, when I talk about conflict, I'm not talking about uh, issues of abuse, uh, uh, assault, things that were done to you without your consent. I don't want you to blame yourself. So can I just give you that kind of that qualifier there? Because I know there are people here that have gone through situations in life and you're blaming yourself. And I'm not saying it's your fault. So don't read into what don't read it. Don't read into this what I'm not saying. Okay. Um, I think you've got to understand where the most conflicts, though, I'm talking about, we have played some part or some role in. Um, and, and that's apart from assault, abuse, uh, situations like that. So a blaming and accusing person, I'm just telling you, it's pride. It, it's pride at the heart of it. A proud person cannot open their eyes to see their own mistakes. A, a prideful person are quick to, they're, they're quick to blame others for their own problems. It is pride. And so that kind of leads me to my next point. So what do we do about this, right? Well, if we want to fix these issues, we don't approach uh, others about conflict until we understand our con contribution to it. Just don't approach others about conflict until you understand your contribution to it. So I said last week, we stop, we go to God first. This is the second step. Uh, let's start understanding what we have done to cause this problem. Uh, again, it's so easy to blame other people. Let's go to a passage in, in the book of Matthew that uh, I think it's often misapplied. I think it's often misunderstood. Uh, I've heard people use this for the wrong way, but let's look at it in Matthew 7, verse 3. And Jesus said this, Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eyes. Okay, 
the thing about this whole passage here, people say, don't judge me. You can't tell me how to live my life. Have you ever had someone say that or you've heard someone kind of share that concept? You, who are you to tell me how to live my life? Who are you to judge me? Uh, that's, you're just hypocritical. Well, I think we're going to hear more and more of that because that's the message that the culture keeps sending out. You can't tell me how to live my life. Everybody gets to make their own choices, live their own way, develop their own truth. And because of that, I can live however I want. You can't tell me how to live my life. Don't judge me. You need to get the log out of your own eye. That's the way this is typically applied. And that's the problem because that's not exactly what it says. Uh, Jesus uses exaggeration to make this point because he, he pictures a person with a log jutting out of your eye. And I mean, just think about the visual imagery of that, right? It, it's almost absurd. Uh, but he uses that point, like you've got this huge log in your eye and you've got to deal with that before you can deal with the speck in your, uh, in your friend's eyes. But what he's saying here is, uh, I'll, I'll just read from the book. I'll read a quote from Ken Sandy in this book of uh, resolving biblical, uh, resolving everyday conflict. He said this. He said, this is the second principle of peacemaking, to get real. You might read Jesus's words and conclude you should never talk to others about their failings. But if you carefully read this passage, it shows that it doesn't forbid loving correction of others' flaws. Instead, it warns us against correcting others too quickly or aiming criticism in the wrong direction. Before we talk to others about their faults, we need to make sure that we have faced up to our ours. Jesus teaches us to take care of the plank in our own eye, and then we can see clearly to get rid of the speck out of someone else's. He says this, he says, if we... If we have dealt with our contribution to a conflict, then we can legitimately approach others about theirs. Jesus doesn't mean that our own sins are necessarily bigger or worse than others, but they are our responsibility. They are under our control. So our sins are the first thing we need to examine and correct when we face conflict. As Christians, our primary focus needs to be on our own sin and not the sins of others. Even if I've decided to overlook an offense, it's still critical for me to do a law hunt. So ask yourself, did I contribute to or provoke the offense? It's amazing to me that when you get something in your eye, if you get a piece of sawdust in your eye, all right, um, and I know you're supposed to wear safety glasses, I do, uh, but when you're, cut, you're using the, the, the table saw or the skill saw, inevitably you're going to get a piece of sawdust in your eye. And when you do, it can be a little tiny piece, but it is miserable, right? Your eyes water, you can't open your eye. You're like, you know, you're trying to wash it out and get it out. Just a little speck really makes a huge problem in your life. Um, and, and what Jesus is saying here, okay, that speck, yeah, that needs to, 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 we need to deal with that speck. But before you deal with that speck, you've got to deal with the log, the plank coming out of your own eye. And I think this is where the problem lies. We don't even realize we have a plank in our eye, so we're so quick to jump in and try to fix everyone else. We like to fix other people. We like to look at everybody else and say, oh, that's your problem. Oh, I know what your problem is. And, and we sit there and judge everybody else and what they're going through. Well, I know why they're in that situation. 
If they would have just simply done this, they wouldn't have ended up here. And it's easy to, to, to armchair quarterback, right, and look at everybody else's problems and see all the issues. It's really hard when we start saying, you know, this is my problem. This is my struggle. This is my sin. And start dealing with that. But the, the reality is when there's a conflict and we've really spent the time with God and we've really dealt with our part of it and our sinful pride and attitude, then when we go to someone else, we do it from a position of love and humility. We don't go to it like we've got every, we go to it, uh, we can go to that other person and that's really what we're talking about next week, how we do that. Uh, the Matthew 18 principle, how we go to another person. That's next week. Uh, but that's really what we, we can do that once we do the hard work of examining ourselves. Um, it leads, when we examine ourselves, um, uh, what it does, it, it just helps us. Uh, it helps us get rid of that critical spirit that so many of us have. Um, one, one commentary said this, it says, in short, the unnoticed log is the, often the critical spirit itself. It's legitimate to help others remove specks from their eyes, but helpers must be aware of their own lumber. And, and Jesus gives us this hope, right? He gives us this, this, this passage in Matthew to help us understand we've got to be self-aware enough. I think Romans 12 says we have to be sober in our self-assessment, right? We, we have to understand uh, what we've done in order to, to help other people. Uh, in the book, Ken Sandy, uh, he, said, he had this statement, and I love it. He said this is part of what the, one of their phrases they use a lot in their, their, their ministry, and, and he has a ministry of going to churches and help people work through conflict and help churches work through conflict. Uh, and this is what he says. He says, even if I'm only 2% responsible for a conflict, I'm 100% responsible for my 2%. Okay, did you get that? Or did I, how many of y'all? Okay, you understood. Okay. Even if I'm only 2% responsible for, for, for what happened in the conflict, I'm 100% responsible to deal with my 2%. I love that, right? Because we want to say, well, that's not fair. The other person is 90%, 98% at fault, so they need to deal with it first. No, we've got to deal with our part first. And as we work to resolve conflict, it doesn't matter who did more. I need to take 100% responsibility for my, for my piece of it. Uh, that kind of leads me to my next point. If we continue to blame others, they're going to blame in return. That's what happens in, in conflict. We blame someone. Well, you did this. Well, no, you did this. Um, just, I know y'all have wonderful, happy marriages. I know a lot of you, and I know you never have conflict. But when you have um, intense fellowship with one another, have you seen this play out before? Where you blank, but you did this. No, you did that. No, you did this. No, you did. It's just a cycle. As soon as you start blaming, our response is to blame the other person in return. Uh, he, in the book, he talks about the golden rule to do unto others as you want them to do unto you. Uh, and, and he talks about that, but he also talks about the golden result. And his, he, what he labels the golden result is people will usually treat us as we treat them. You, people usually treat us as we treat them. If we blame others for a problem, they're going to blame in return. But if we say, hey, I was wrong about this. 
It immediately, I'm just, if you go into a conflict and say, hey, before this starts, I just want to say I was wrong. I, I need to apologize. I need to own up. This is what I should have done. I'm sorry. And I, I even tell, when I perform weddings, one of the phrases, one of the things I say a lot of times is the most powerful two words in your marriage will be I'm sorry. But also the two hardest words to say is I'm sorry. But if we go into it with that, instead, what are we going to receive back? Typically, you're going to hear, hey, you know what? Yeah, uh, thank you for apologizing. Here's what I did. But if you blame, they're going to blame it. You get, it, it. you get what you send out. And so if we're always offended, if we're always critical, if we're always blaming someone else, what do you think we're going to get in return? What do you think uh, people, we're going to surround ourselves with people who reflect what we do? In the book, Ken Sandy, he tells the story of two men in conflict, a homeowner and a builder. And uh, the homeowner claimed that there were defects in his home's construction. It got heated. The builder wouldn't admit to any fault. They tried mediation. That didn't work. They went to court. That didn't work. Um, and then finally, they agreed to meet with, with him. He sat down with both of them, um, and they thought they were coming. You know, they had all their stuff piled up. Here's what happened. Here's what was done. And he said, we're not even going to talk about it today. He sent them home with this assignment. He said, I want you to go home. I want you to spend 30 minutes praying, saying, Lord, please open my eyes so that I can see how I may have contributed to the problem. That was the first step. He said, I don't want to even hear it. I want to go home, spend 30 minutes praying about how I may have contributed to the problem. Sent them home. The next day they show up. Okay. The builder arrived. He said, let me speak first. Um, and he proceeded, uh, you know, uh, to, to present an itemized list of the construction def defects. He said, okay, these were all my fault and I'm going to fix them. At first, the homeowner, he, he says, was speechless. But then he took his turn and said, well, actually, this isn't entirely your fault. If I hadn't been so obnoxious the first time I talked to you about my concerns, we probably could have resolved this on our own and spend, and instead of spending the last year in court. This is more my fault than yours. Now, how many times have we been in conflict and that's not the response we get? But just simply by humbling yourself and saying, okay, you know what? I, I need to make this right. It's my fault. It totally changed the other person. They walked out of the room. They, they were, I mean, all it took was simply 30 minutes praying, okay, what did I, just taking time to step back and look at your own contribution. And so that leads me to really this, this main point. Instead of blaming others, confess your part in the conflict. This is so important. Once we begin to understand what we've done, then we take it to the next step and we confess it. This is part of the whole process of repentance. This is, this is what repentance is, is turning. It's a change of mind where we turn from what we believe and we turn to what is true. That, that's so repentance. And Jesus calls us to repent of our sins and to turn to him. And so when we confess, when we repent, um, what happens is, man, it just cleanses us. I, I love 1 John 1, 9. Uh, uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and so uh, I, that's this whole process of confession and repentance is, is powerful. 
uh, 400 years ago of the Puritan pastor Thomas Watson. He described what he called the six ingredients of repentance. And I don't have this on the screen, uh, but he, he has six uh, ingredients of repentance. He, the first is the sight of sin. So we see it. We, we see it. We understand their sin there. We see it. Then the second step is the sorrow for sin. Uh, the sorrow for sin. We, we see it. Now we start understanding the implications of that sin. The sorrow for it. Then the third step is the confession of sin. Once we have seen it, once we have understood it, then we confess it. Confess it to God. We confess it to those we've offended. Then the fourth thing is the shame for sin. Now, shame is not a, a word we like to use in our culture today, uh, but we need to feel the weight of our sin. We need to feel the we need to understand what it has done and how it has affected our relationships and hurt others. Then the fifth thing is a hatred for sin. So once we've understood it, once we've acknowledged it, once we've felt it, once we've confessed it, now we have a hatred for it. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to do that again. I, I don't want to feel that way again. I don't want to hurt that person again. And then the sixth thing is turning from sin. That's the final step of repentance. And so I love this. When we think about repentance, it's like, it's, here's, here's, I think, in our culture today how we think about repentance. I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it again, and just, will you quit talking about it? That's how we view repentance. I love, though, that the Puritans spent time and said, no, there's more to it. There's six steps actually involved in that. Seeing it, sorrow, confessing it, shame, hatred, and turning from it. Do you see um, uh, it, people that keep returning to the same sin over and over, they've not gone through these six steps. And so these six steps kind of bring us back to God. They force us to think about our problem in uh, our, our role in that conflict. And that just shows that confession leads to forgiveness and reconciliation. Uh, I'll kind of close out uh, by saying this, right? In so many conflicts I see, people want to jump uh, straight to reconciliation. And and what typically happens is a quick sorry. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just forgive me. Let's move on. And they want to jump all the way to reconciliation. This is the, the, they're, they're afraid to, to take ownership. They're afraid to, to examine themselves. They're afraid to confess their part in the, in the problem. And so they just like, I'm sorry. What, whatever it, it is that I did to offend you, I'm sorry for it. But can we move on now? That's not a true apology. It's not a true apology. We need to learn how to apologize better. In fact, I'm going to leave you with this today, uh, how to ask forgiveness. And this is in the book. Uh, there's seven steps here that, that I want to walk you, how to ask for forgiveness, how to, uh, how to confess your sin. The first thing, you address everyone involved. Everyone involved, you, you address them and say, okay, it, it, everyone that was hurt, everyone in this conflict, you address them all. That's the first. Second, um, you avoid if, but, and maybe. Don't say, I'm sorry, but you did this. Don't say, if you would have done this, then this would not have happened. Don't say, but maybe it, you were part of the... No, this is simple. Don't qualify. Just say, 
This is what, what I've done. Number three, admit specifically. Uh, when you apologize and say, I don't know what it is I've done, but I apologize for everything, that's not an apology. That's a manipulation. That's shifting blame. There's actually a form of abuse called uh, blame shifting. <laughs> okay? Admit specifically. Fourth, um, acknowledge the hurt. This is empathy. Just understand the consequences of sin. Number five, uh, accept the consequences. There are going to be consequences, right? Uh, you, you can't, uh, it takes time to regain trust. And then six, alter your behavior. Alter your behavior. Don't keep doing it. And, and seven, ask for forgiveness. Uh, and, and I would just say, and this takes time sometimes. Uh, I think so many times someone's been hurt. We go to them, well, forgive me. And, and we kind of, we expect this instant fix, this instant reconciliation. It takes time sometimes to regain trust. But if we start putting this into practice, whew. okay, husbands, read up on this. <laughs> Wives, I, I'm not going to leave you out to you. I mean, this, this is how you can really make a huge difference in your marriage. At work, imagine if, if you went through this when you have problems. Why don't we do this? Because it's hard work. It's not easy. And, and so I, I would just say this morning, you know, is acknowledging our own sin is tough. But that's where our relationship with Jesus starts. We, uh, if we want to be saved, if we want to be born again, if we want uh, eternal life, the first step is acknowledging our need for a Savior. It's acknowledging our own sin. And, and so it, it, for, for many of you, maybe you're having trouble with this whole, uh, this whole conflict thing because you've never admitted you're sinful and you need a Savior. That's the first step. And so before you can go on to all of this stuff, you've got to deal with your separation, with your conflict with God. And that's where it starts. And so today, I want to give you that opportunity right here, right now, to, to, to get right with God so that we can start getting right with each other. That's why the whole 2 Corinthians 5 talks about, hey, we've been reconciled to God. Now we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. For God knew, made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's, this, it's about us being reconciled to God. So but as the praise team comes up, we're going to pray today and, and enter into our response time. And we're going to talk uh, about how we can be made right with God. Let's pray today. Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, uh, my prayer is that for the people in this room, the people online watching today, that if there is conflict in their life, and there is, uh, because it's something that we all deal with, that we would be able to start applying these gospel principles. And it all starts, we know, Lord, with acknowledging our own sin. And so, Heavenly Father, help us realize that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Your Word tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so when we acknowledge our sin... When we understand we are separated from you because of our sin, 
then we can go and we can go to the cross. We can see what Jesus did on our behalf, how he died and took our penalty, our punishment, so that we might be made right with you. And so, Lord, if there's anybody here in this room, anybody online that does not know you as their Lord, their master, their savior, then today would be that day that they confess you as Lord. Because if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we believe in our heart, God, that you raised Jesus from the dead, we will be saved. And so let me invite you right now as we pray, as, as people in this room are praying, and if you are already saved, I want you to start praying right now that people would respond online uh, in this room, that people would, res- which would respond to this gospel invitation. And if you don't want to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need saving. Help me, Lord, because I, I don't want to be that prideful person that rejects you and, and, and blames others. So, Lord, I take responsibility. But I also acknowledge I can't fix my sin problem by myself. And so that's why I put my faith in Jesus. Because he can do what I cannot do. And when Jesus went to the cross on my behalf, he, he did it for me. He did it out of love. So right now, I want to put my faith, my trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone to save me. And if that's your prayer today, I want you to know that God says, for all who call upon the name of Jesus will be saved. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We just praise you for your goodness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you're here today, um, you know, throughout the centuries, confession has been a part of worship services. It's been a part. And, and, and for us, this is our chance, our response time to do some confession. So maybe today you, you want to stay right where you are uh, as we sing. You can sit quietly. You don't have to sing. Maybe you want to just confess to God the struggles, the sin Uh, Maybe you need to leave this place and start confessing to others your role in the problems that you are seeing in in life. Um, And if you have made any type of decision, I would urge you to to talk to us before you leave, to take out a communication card and, and, and fill it out and let us know the decision you made so we can follow up and we can walk with you in this new life. If you're watching online, there's a place to check off there. If you uh, made Jesus your Lord and Savior, please let us know. Please, we would love uh, to come along beside you and help you in this new walk of faith. And so today, we've got a lot to be thankful for. We've got a lot to think about too, though. And so let's stand as we close today.